Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. Y'all doing well? Good to see everybody. The left side's a little fuller than the right. I don't know what we did wrong over here, but hey, I'll I'll preach to y'all more just to see if I can get y'all fired up. We're going to be in the book of Romans. We're finishing our series called Righteousness Revealed. It's a series we've been on for several years now, actually, but uh, we're finishing it up. Uh, We've been taking breaks here along the way, and uh, this is the fourth part of Righteousness Revealed, part four. Uh, Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to be today, and if you looked at the bulletin or you noticed the title, it's Discernment Over Judgment, and uh, this is going to be a, a particular sermon that I believe will be encouraging. It might it might just challenge you a little bit. I hope so. It's challenged me this week as I dug in on it. But one of the, I'm, I think Paul here is dealing with something in the book of Romans that we've been dealing with for a long time, I think, as uh, Christians, but certainly as just people in general. We have a tendency to be judgmental. Um, we just, it's just in our nature to look at others' situation or look at their way of life and think, well, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's like one of our favorite things to think or say out loud. Like, I remember saying this before I was a parent. Like, once I'm a parent, I'm never going to do that. And uh, sometimes I've had to eat my words about things I thought I wouldn't do. Um, after four kids, there's a lot of things that uh, sometimes I do just so I don't lose my mind, even though they may not be the most righteous decisions. But we get this accusation a lot in the church, especially. I, I'm sure you've heard this, that Christians are very judgmental. You hear this, sometimes you'll hear Christians are, are, are there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church or there's, they're, they're too judgmental. Well, to, to both of those, I normally answer, you know what, you're totally right. Because what I've noticed is people are those things. Like people in general, we have hypocrisy in our life. We try not to, you know, even people who are trying to live right, sometimes they do things they don't intend to do and say they wouldn't do and yet they do it. And oftentimes... We're judgmental even though we don't want to be. And according to, to Barna's uh, recent Barna study, ages, people ages 16 to 29 in the U.S., about 90% of those who responded to this survey articulated the opinion that Christians are judgmental. 90% of our young people believe Christians are judgmental. I imagine some of those were Christians that were answering that survey. I don't know. It's interesting, though. That Jesus would rather be known by his love than what he judges. I mean, this is kind of the clear point. He says in John 13, in fact, this all by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, there's a lot of things he talks about that we should be obedient to and, and things that we should observe, but the way that the world should know us is by our love. And obviously, something's not right there. And that's the thing I think Paul is trying to address. And I hope that the Holy Spirit of God will help us address as a people. Because I hear you thinking this. You might be thinking this thought, and I thought this. Is, I know we're supposed to love, but doesn't love tell the truth? Doesn't love tell the truth? And to that I would say, absolutely. Love always tells the truth, but with grace, which is something we often lack. Notice this. Looking at John chapter 1, how Jesus was. The reason people responded to him so well was that he's not just truth, he's grace. John chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of 
Grace and truth. Grace and truth. How do we walk like Jesus then? How do we have discernment over judgment? Well, we walk in love full of grace and truth. Paul's just said this in Romans chapter 12. This idea now is we have a transformed mind in Christ, which means we have His mind. We've been renewed away from the world's way of thinking, which is very judgmental. I think the study is kind of foolish in this. The the study should have asked, do you think people are judgmental? And I think 100% of people would have said that. Because people have a tendency to be judgmental. Christian or non-Christian, what should be baffling by that is we should be different. We should be set apart. Because of a renewed way of thinking. His way of speaking, His way of acting, His way of thinking. So what's the difference? What's the difference between being judgmental and being discerning? Well, I think it has everything to do with motives. Judgment condemns. Discernment seeks to understand. The motive of judgment is self-righteousness and a sense of superiority maybe. But discernment is humility and love. I desire to understand you better so that I might show you the truth of Christ in love and grace. So the question, church, (laughs) you judged anyone lately? Sadly, most of us would say yes on some level. And maybe you've forgotten some of them from the guy on the street corner that's peddling for money, the lady who cuts you off in traffic. That happened to somebody on the way here. From the foul-mouthed brother-in-law or the weed-smoking neighbor you happen to have. Judgment just comes naturally to all of us, but wouldn't you rather have spiritual discernment and know how to really address people in truth and grace? In Romans chapter 14, we see the Apostle Paul here teaching believers in Rome that that having this renewed mind in Christ Jesus, now they can be able to consider one another with discernment over judgment. We can do this too. As we study the Scriptures together, I think we'll see the text give three ways we can consider one another with discernment. Let's dig in Romans chapter 14, verse 13 to the end of that chapter. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I am and and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, you do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do something or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. 
That one's a hard one to amen. You're sitting there going, man, what are we dealing with here? What are we unpacking together this morning? Well, it took me quite a while in my study this week to really get at what I think God is trying to teach me, and I hope what He's trying to teach us, and that is how to be discerning rather than judgmental. How to understand where we need to think like Christ and not be judgmental like our flesh. And this is the first way that I really see Him teaching, and that is to choose love over liberty. To choose love over liberty. Now the word liberty is not necessarily in the text, but he is talking about this sense of freedom constantly. This idea that we have the ability to eat whatever, to drink whatever, and yet what does it cause for our brothers in the faith, our sisters in the faith? Does it cause them to stumble? He says to, to this, and really he's, he's now addressing, last week we talked a little bit about this idea of the weak and the strong, but now he's addressing those people who know very well that nothing is unclean, that, that there's freedom there to eat and drink, but we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't be judging those who are still feeling conviction about certain things, not, not sure what, what God is teaching about certain other things. And this idea of passing judgment is right off the bat in verse 13. He's, he's posing this idea that you're not really walking in love if you're constantly tearing others down with, your, your judgmentalness. So in Romans 14, you'll see just previous to this, it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So the, the nature of where Paul is now heading in this letter is, we're his, we're God's. And so what are we doing? Constantly passing judgment. No, instead... He gives the imperative verb here, decide never. Now, I, I hate to do this. Y'all, y'all may not know this, but I try to never give you the negative commands just as they are. I try to give you an encouraging word. It's one of my goals. And so when the Bible says decide never, I painted it this way. Choose love. Decide to love rather than to not judge. Because I want... <laughs> Myself, first of all, and then I want you as the people of God to know what to choose and not what always not to do. Because we constantly hear what not to do. Well, what should we be doing? Well, he says in verse 15, choose the walk of love. Otherwise, we're this crazy thing in the middle, this stumbling block. He uses two words there to describe what we do sometimes. He says stumbling block and he says hindrance. These are two different words. And there's a point for why he's using them. The idea of a stumbling block is something that you would put in someone's path to cause them to trip. Like, I've recently watched this movie with Adam Sandler called Big Daddy. Y'all judge it if you want. I don't care. Um, But there's this scene where he's teaching the boy how to trip the rollerbladers who are going down the hill. And I love the part. It's great. That's just how I roll. And so he's, he throws sticks out and trips the guys. This is the idea of this word right here. It's like you constantly doing stuff in other people's lives to trip them up. You're using your freedom and, and the way you believe and just saying, oh, well, I'm constantly going to cast sticks underneath all the rollerbladers. And Half of our church is rollerblading, trying to figure out how to live life righteously and how to follow God in the way He's convicted them. And yet there's some of us that would just throw rocks. There was, when I was a kid, this is crazy, y'all. I, I want to share this with you, but this is the idea that came to my mind when I read it was, my, for whatever reason, I wanted to hang out with my big brother so bad. He's three years older than me, and he would bring his friends over, and I was so desperate to be with them that I didn't mind if they inflicted great deals of pain upon me. And so 
I would get on my little bike and just start pedaling around the, the garage and they would be hiding in the bush or whatever with sticks and they'd poke sticks into my front spokes and just watch me, you know, and I, I'd get good form like sailing and I thought it was fun at the time. I think it would kill me now, but I would do anything to just hang out with them and they became, well, this very thing, this stumbling block, casting sticks into my path. And the second word is hindrance. I love the Greek word here. It's the word scandalon. It's scandalous. This is the idea of a snare. So some of the actions we do trip people. Some of them actually capture people. I'll give you an example of this. I think the Bible is pretty clear that we should not be drunk on wine. It says that in, in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. However, there are some that would argue you shouldn't drink at all. I don't think the Bible says that. I think the Bible gives some freedom there, but here's what I know. Some of you have different convictions about this very thing. And some of you are recovering from an alcohol addiction. And if I know that about you, and I go off talking about how I'm free to drink and let's go drink together, I am a scandalon. I'm a snare that's going to ruin your life. That's not love. Does that make sense? That's not love over liberty. Let me not use my freedom to destroy your faith. Now, the interesting thing that he argues here is really something from Christ Jesus. He says nothing is unclean. Now, this would have blown the minds of the Jews. How is it possible that you're saying this? He uses the word koinos. Koine means uh, common or, or, or practical. And it, here it means the idea of the Jewish dietary laws. He's literally saying none of it is unclean anymore. Yay, bacon. Hallelujah. That's, that's a piece of what he's saying. Really, this is for the Roman audience. Really what he's talking about is the idea of these sacrifices that have been made to idols. Understand this. These are not real gods. These idols are false. So you're free to eat. But to those very people, he says, you know, but I'm not going to eat around you that causes you to be ensnared, that causes you to struggle. I'll, just, I'll choose not to eat. But he's, he's defining something that Jesus has already said. Some would argue that this is just a Pauline theology. Well, what about when Jesus says in Matthew 15, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So it's not about what you eat and drink. It's about what comes out. It's about your words. It's about your activity. And he says, no, I choose to walk in love. I'm not going to use my liberty to cause others to be trapped or, or to be, stum be a stumbling block to them. No, I'm going to walk in love. I love what one writer says about this. This really helped me to picture it. He says, we willingly alter our pace when we're walking with a small child. When we're walking with a small child, we're very careful, right? If, especially if we're crossing through a parking lot into traffic. And if you have kids like mine, they don't really want to hold my hand because they want to die. I don't know why. They just want to run out in traffic and then just die. I mean, that's two, at least two of my children. I think they've all been that way at some point in time. But you grab that hand and you walk steady. And when you get to a curb with little bitty ones, you're like, okay, quick, 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 get to the curb. You're very careful. And it's not because you're judging that little one. You just know they're little. You're careful. Why? Because you love them. This is what Paul is teaching us as believers. Some of us are younger in the faith. Let's walk slowly. Oh, there's a curb. Let's be careful with each other's faith. That really helped me this week to, to process this idea. 
that I'm not belittling a weaker brother or sister, someone who's new in their faith, but rather I'm helping them by walking slowly and being careful. Do not destroy them, no. In verse 15 it says, don't destroy them. The ones whom Christ has died. Look, Christ has paid for their sins. Their sin has been judged on the cross by Christ. And it's paid for, so don't pass judgment on them. In Corinthians, Paul talks about this all the more, and I love what he has to say. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in, a, in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the decision that the apostle makes. This is the decision I believe he's calling us to make in Christ Jesus. That if my brother struggles with an addiction, I'm not going to do that around them. If they're still struggling with whether to eat or drink this, if they're still struggling with something else, I mean, it doesn't have to be food and drink. Understand your liberty could, could cause someone a great deal of harm. This is what Paul says to the Galatians. You brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, I love Tim Keller writing on the subject. He gives an example that's outside the box thinking, and I kind of liked it to help you a little bit. He says, I once knew a high school girl from a strict church that taught it was sinful for women to wear makeup. But the peer pressure from other Christian girls at school led her to begin putting makeup on after leaving home in the morning and wiping it off before she came home. Though the Bible nowhere forbids makeup, the girl was violating her conscience. Spiritually within herself, she was choosing popularity over faithfulness to God. As a result, she soon found herself much more open to real violations of God's will in the area of sexuality. She had stumbled because her Christian friends mocked her principles, misguided though they were. Were her friends right about the topic? Technically, yes. What did they cause? They caused her to stumble all the more. Be careful. Walk gently. Walk with love. Understand that your liberty may cause other, other people to stumble. Choose loving one another over your freedom. Does your brother struggle with this? Does he struggle with this addiction or that? Don't cause him to stumble. Here's the second reason, and I really like this one. I thought of this, by the way. So, uh, I, I, and then I read it somewhere else and went, oh, goody, I'm, I'm not totally crazy. We choose eternal over external. Love over liberty and then we choose the eternal over the external. I've been saying this to myself a lot lately since uh, some things have occurred in my life, in my family's life. This idea that I really want to care about eternal things. Like more and more, I just relationships are all that really truly matters. And how am I building them? How am I getting to know Christ all the more? What are the things that I can take with me? The eternal things. Rather than here, some external things. I think the key to this whole text is right here in verse 17. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of the externals. He could have broadened this and he does in other places. Jesus does in other places. The kingdom of God 
is not about the externals. It's about the heart. It's about the changing heart. It's about the gospel's impact on your life and the lives of others. It's not about what you eat and drink. So discernment then is looking at whatever it is you do. And I would, I would encourage you to do this in your life. Do it now. Don't wait any longer. Make a decision that all of these things that you're taking a great deal of time to do every single day, ask this question, does this please God? Does this please God? Does it bring me righteousness, peace, and joy, as verse 17 says? Is it a good witness to the lost? Now, I understand some of you are going to be sitting there going, well, you know, I, I'm, there, there's, some of you are inside of people's mouths fixing their teeth throughout the week. Some, some of you are out arresting people throughout the week. And I would, I would wonder, like, all right, does this please God? Well, maybe in some wild way you were designed to do this very thing. And how could you do it all the more for the glory of God? I'm not sure how you fix teeth to the glory of God, but I, I got somebody I want to ask later about that. But I know there's a way. I'm glad there's people that do it. I'm glad there's people out there that protect us. I'm glad there's people that do all these different things. But the question still remains, how am I using my platform for the gospel? How am I bearing witness to a lost world? You've got some very, some of you have jobs where you have captivated minds that can't escape you for a while. I wonder how you're using it. Does this please God what I do? Do not let what you regard as good be treated as evil. The word here, the English had to broaden this word because it's the word blasphemeo, where we get the word blasphemy. The sense here is you, you understand the gospel, you understand the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, but at the same time, don't allow these things you call good to be called evil. Now this, I'm about to go down a rabbit hole for just a minute. All right, come with me. Take the, is it the red pill or the blue pill? I can't remember which one takes you in, but whichever one, maybe take them both. We'll see what happens. But the poppy, the poppy is not unclean in of itself. The marijuana leaf, the coca, the coca plant, technically not unclean. They're not unclean. You know what's crazy? God made all those things. He did. He did. Medicines exist that help with pain, nausea, and other ailments. They come from these kinds of things. There's a little aspect of the coca plant that's in Coca-Cola. I'm thankful for that. I love Coca-Cola. It's delicious. We have to admit something that God did create all of these things, but here's what we do. We, we, we misuse them in order to, to seek to displace God. I, 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 need, I need to be... I need to get high so that I don't feel this pain. I need comfort. I need to remove whatever this is that God could touch. But I'm going to use things He's created as Creator. We do this with drink. We do this with alcohol. We do this with substances. We do this with narcotics. And we're trying to relieve the pain that only God can heal. Only God can heal. Now, you may be prescribed some of these things, and to that, I have no problem. Maybe you're going through something terrible. Some of you are going through awful ailments right now, and you're being prescribed these things. Take them so that you can heal, but don't misuse them and become addicted. Look, there's a lot of things I could feel in. Look, God created, this is crazy, right? God created marriage. God created sex. Why? Because He loves us. And he wanted, he wanted us to enjoy this. He, he did this on purpose. Sometimes Christians look at this and go, ew. 
What is wrong with us when we do this? We teach young people such a skewed version of who God is when we do that. And yet, sex outside of marriage blasphemes. It blasphemes a believer's testimony. He's created it for a purpose in a place. Just like all of these other things. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's not about all of these things, these created externals. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. It's about, as verse 18 says, the one who serves Christ. The one who serves Christ in righteousness, peace, and joy is acceptable to God and approved by men. These eternal things, they please God and they attract unbelievers. This is fantastic news. This means we can get way more into these things that really matter rather than constantly be dwelling in these realms of external things, arguing mostly with other believers about whether you should do this, eat this, touch this, what. And we're always in this realm, especially on social media, telling everybody what should and shouldn't be done. And the world is looking at that going, I got enough of that going on in my own life. I don't need this Christian circle. All right, I don't need this church thing. Then people can't get along. They're judgmental. And it's not that they're saying, oh, well, I know my circle's not judgmental. They know their circle's judgmental too. But what's the difference? Now, what if, what if we would get more into things that are eternal? That those things that ruffle your feathers the most, po- political things, cultural things, whatever it is, that gets you fired up and makes you want to chime in. What if you check yourself at the door? Just say, wait a minute, if I, if I interject right here, am I walking in love? Am I showing off that I care about eternal things instead of external things? What if all of this stuff is dust? Well, it is. Only these people, flesh and bone, are coming with us. And then I've got to be challenged. I've got to be challenged. Does this please God? Does my conversation, does what I have to say there, does it please Him? And is it bearing witness to a lost and fallen world? Now that's a better question. That's a much better question. To the Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 10, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that Many may be saved. Now that ain't a popular way to think, is it? I do what's best for others so that maybe some of them will come to Christ. Oh, don't tell the American comfort. Oh, I'm going to do what's best for others. Well, that's uncomfortable. And yet that's gospel thinking. You've probably heard the old cliche, don't judge a book by its cover. The one who discerns is willing to look beneath the surface. I used to say something really stupid, y'all. I like to uh, I like to use you as my time of confession from time to time, and y'all probably are aware of that. But when I, especially when I was in college, I had I had some friends that one friend in particular that was thinking about dating this this particular girl, and he's and we were having a conversation about her beauty one night. I know this is so shallow. Um, Guys do this, women, and I think y'all do this, right? I think there are times where you get together, do you think he's good looking? If you're asking that question, he's not. He's not yours, all right? And if guys, guys, young guys that aren't married yet, if you're having to ask someone else, what do you think about her? You're not smitten. Like, keep, keep, just move on, all right? 
But we were having this conversation, me and my buddy, about this particular girl's beauty. And he said, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's not like a 10 or anything, but I really like her personality. She's really a wonderful person. She's, she's strong in her faith, and she's really fun to be around. And to that person, I said, yeah, but for me, man, that, that ain't good enough. That ain't enough personality to, to fix her face. I, I just, that's, that's, that's what I did. That's what I did. And you're still here. If y'all want to walk out, I understand. Um, God is healing me. I, I, I promise you. Uh, my sins are following me, but and God's God's killing them. But you know what? I, you know what? Though I was wrong in some ways about that. Um, I think there is some truth that there should be there should be physical attraction. It's important. It is important because guess what? This person isn't going to be likable every day. Um, so it's helpful to have attraction, but. You know what I've learned more and more? That some of those people that I found very beautiful people externally have proven over time to not be beautiful people. And I judged a lot of people just by the way they looked. And I'm so thankful now that, that really the grace of God more than anything that the person I married, I, I was attracted to, sure. But, but what's even better is that God's really protected me by her being a faithful person. And I'll be frank, I'll be honest. I don't think... That was the most important thing to me at the time. And God really protected me. Young people in the room, I, I don't know if you're looking, if you're thinking about dating, if you're, that is the most important thing. Because over time, that's the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing that's going to save your marriage. It's the only thing that's going to sustain you through some horrible things. And everybody faces horrible things. Do you know how I know? Because death comes to us all. There are horrible things that you will get through together. And you'll get through them together. When Christ is in charge. So thankful that he protected me there. And I, I, I've kind of had to come back and eat my words in a lot of ways. That You know, that, that stuff about faith and personality. Wow, they're way more important than I, was, than I was leading on. So I wonder this. Are you judging people by their externals? By their hair? By their age? By their culture? I said hair because like the blonde joke. I'm, I'm not even going to there. I've done enough damage today. Um, the culture, their job, their house, their politics. We judge externals, discern the eternal value instead. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Love over liberty, eternal over external, and then choose edification over condemnation. I admit, edification is not like the most common English word. It's okay if you get a little smarter at church, friends. All right, I'm okay if you walk out knowing a little bit more about Jesus, a little bit more about history, and maybe your vocabulary is increasing. Praise God. You know, if you read the King James Version every day for a year, you're going to get way smarter. Isn't that wild? Because that thing's written on a 12th grade reading level. But I've met 12th graders. They are not that smart. I think we should probably reevaluate. Edification over condemnation. He says in verse 19 and finish. Here's what you can pursue. Verse 19, he says, let us pursue what? Mutual peace and mutual upbuilding. Now, I admit, the English Standard Version made a very interesting choice with their English there. Upbuilding is not a word that I ever hear in our language. Upbuilding. But they were really trying to get at this word. It's the word oikodome, which is, oikos means house. Dome means to build or what's on top. It's literally the idea that you would build to its fullest. That you would build it all the way up to put the roof on it. That's the sense of it. That your goal would be peace and so loving and helping people that you would put the roof on their life. 
That's the kind of edification that we're about. Over this other thing he talks about towards the end of it of condemnation. So he says immediately, mutual upbuilding, building up, bring it to its fullest. And then right after that he says, and do not tear down. It's do not destroy, do not deprive of success. Don't tear it all down, but build it all up. This is something only you can really answer is, Like, are you in the habit? Are you the kind of person who is building, encouraging, constantly edifying others? Or are you really, really good at shattering people's dreams and tearing them to the ground? I've noticed something that the people who are really great at encouraging are also really great at discouraging. It's like the flip side of every gift we've been given has an ugly side, has a terrible aspect. And I can be really good at building others up. I can also really tear people down because I tear myself down sometimes pretty well. He says, no, as believers in Christ, our goal should be peace, righteousness, joy. It should be mutual. This idea of corporately as a body of Christ, we are working together to pursue him that together we are trying to put a roof on our faith. And so we're going to spend a lot of time wrestling with the things that really matter, those eternal things. And he says to those people, you're blessed. Verse 22, you're blessed if you've gotten to this place where you no longer struggle with your convictions. That you've, you've decided in Christ Jesus what is approved. And verse 23, whoever doubts is still in this really difficult place. And to that, I, I like how the New Living translates verse 23. If you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you, do any, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So follow the lead of, of the Holy Spirit. Follow His leading on this. I, I know a, a whole lot of, of men in the pastorate who have made the decision, I will never touch a drink, ever. And it's not because they believe the Bible says it's sinful to touch it, but rather they have a personal conviction about it. And I honor that. I respect those people. I respect those, those men and women of God that are that way. And there's a lot of things you could fill into that blank and say, you know what, I'm never going to touch that. Because I just feel like for me, it's not, it's not encouraging, it's not edifying. And so follow the Spirit's lead, His conviction. Discernment does not condemn, however. It seeks to build up. In Colossians, he says, Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ Himself is that reality. To the Thessalonians He writes, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let me close with this thought. And it's from the words of Christ. He says, judge not. This is on the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people take this way out of context. We see him here teaching that we should stop this hypocritical judging and start transformed discerning and and how we consider our brothers. So listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Nor how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think that's kind of funny in a way. Like, in a sense, we're walking around completely blind because we have a whole log in our eyes. And we're trying to tell everybody else, oh, there's something wrong with you. When Jesus says, no, let's, let's, let's look in the mirror first. This idea of, of judgment here is more about, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time wrestling with what you're struggling with until I first come to the Father with what I'm dealing with. And, and my motivation is first to know Him, for Him to cleanse me, for Him to cure me, to heal me, so that I might be able to help others. None of this is about judgment, in fact. If, I, if I'm in the business of helping people get specks out of their eyes, then I'm some kind of a physician, right? I'm, a, I'm an eye doctor or something. I don't ever go to my doctor and think, well, I shouldn't say that, because every once in a while I do think the doctor's judging me a little bit. Like, every once in a while, like, probably could lose a couple pounds or something. You know, that's never happened to me, but I feel like the time could happen soon. I mean, it's coming. This, I'm bringing up dentists again. I feel like they judge me every time. I'm just putting that out there. No, I haven't flossed, all right? It's annoying. But to that, Jesus says, look, if you're in the business of helping people get specks out of their eyes and God has given you that type of healing, it's not about judgment. It's not about looking at other people and saying, you know what? I once had this alcohol addiction, just to use that example. I once had this struggle and God has so healed me. Might He be able to help you too? Rather than to constantly be pointing fingers but say, you know what? God has, has removed this, has healed me of this, has helped me through this, and so now I feel led to edify, not condemn. I feel led to help others through this process. You can tell whether you're discerning or whether you're judging by your motivation. Name calling, putting people in categories, dismissing them, that's not discernment. Well, you recognize that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be known by our love. By our love. Choose love over liberty. The eternal over the external and edification over condemnation. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we ask you now that you would guide us because we're the kind of people that admittedly we struggle with judgment. And we're thankful, first of all, that you are a God who's not judgmental by nature. Even though you are just, even though you have every right to judge us, your first inclination is mercy. Your first inclination is love and grace I'm so surprised by that. That in your creation, it didn't take it long to go way off course. And you knew that would happen. And yet your love remains. Your salvation goes on. Lord, I'm asking now, would you teach us first how to be more like you? That we would imitate Christ. That we would be like your sons and daughters, not just by name, but by action. That we would learn what it means to be loving and merciful and gracious. That our, our, whatever truth we have to bring, which is primarily in the gospel of Jesus, that that truth would be so seasoned well with salt, with grace, with mercy. That you would teach us how to do that well. 
that we would be reminded day by day how much we need you. I think that encourages me to be a better, a better witness, knowing my own personal brokenness, my own need for the Savior, and that humbles me and reminds me we're all in this together. We're all on a course. Some of us are on some bumpy roads, and we desperately need the Father. God, help us with that. If that's you today, you've come to this place and you recognize. I understand the love of Christ. I'm hearing all that, but I haven't received it for myself. If that's you, my friend, there's no reason to wait any longer. The love and the grace and the mercy of Christ is at your feet. And the question is, what will you do with it? What will be your decision about this wonderful gospel? If you're ready today, ready to say yes to Christ Jesus and let Him be Lord and rule in your life so that you might walk in Him. Pray with me this. It says in the book of Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We believe that as a church. We put our faith in that. If that's you today, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that. I believe you took my, my wrongdoing, my, my shame, my guilt, all of that, and you, you nailed it to the cross. I believe that. I also believe, God, that you raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he is raised, he is resurrected, and he lives today. I believe that. So now, Christ Jesus, I'm asking, would you be Lord in my life? That means, would you, would you be in charge? Would you lead it? I'm putting you on the throne in my life. And I'm asking God, would you begin to teach me how to do these things you've instructed me to be? To love, to understand my freedom, to build others up, to live in righteousness and peace. Oh God, I want peace and joy. Would you do that in me? Dear friend, welcome to the family of God. And we're praying with you the same thing. God, would you instruct us, guide our steps, help us to understand how to be people of love, Christians who who do very well at bearing witness to a fallen world that Christ is first and foremost love and mercy and grace. Yes, He's truth. Yes, He's paid for sin. Yes, something has to be done about our brokenness. But the truth is He's done it. And as Christians, we... God, we want so desperately to to model you well. Help us to to be that, the church that really honors you and loves others. Help us to build one another up. I pray that people would grow in their faith in this this place. Would you do that in us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.